All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman, live but on delay here at the Wells Fargo Center. How you doing, Rich? Good, man. You know, wasn't quite the uh, the juice that we were expecting tonight. No, this is so. This is following. This is being recorded on Saturday night. Probably come out on Sunday morning after the Toronto Raptors game. They, you know, we we including us built up this. You know, this game and then the, the upcoming road trip as a true measuring stick. And with the absences in Toronto's lineup, you know, obviously Kawhi, Ibaka, Valanchunas, not quite had the same feeling as the first two games, which is a little bit of a shame because it is the first one that was played at the Wells Fargo Center where the Sixers are a completely different team. That being said, they did, you know, they, they took care of business, and especially in the, towards the latter half of that game, in the fourth quarter specifically, they did what they had to do. Um, they played a good game overall, outside of shooting the ball. Um, everyone outside of J.J. Redick struggled. Korkmaz had a couple of threes, um, but everyone outside of that really struggled at times. But it was a good workmanlike win that they had to get. I think like J.J. Redick said after the game, yeah, it's maybe not the competition we wanted to get, but we need wins, we need positioning, we need seeding. So it is a good one to pick up. When you play a depleted team, all you can do is blow them out. And that's what they did. Uh, and I think the biggest takeaway from a, a game against the Toronto Raptors, who I think a lot of people believe have been the best team in the NBA so far this year, I think Milwaukee's given them a run for their, their money in that regard, was Jonah Bolden, of all people. <laughs> I mean, Jonah Bolden... I haven't seen him play in a while. He has been a part of your Twitter thread <laughs> that has just been ongoing. I mean, he is the Lorenzo Brown heir who is actually on the Raptors, Lorenzo Brown. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, outside of a few spot minutes in Cleveland and uh, San Antonio, he was injured for a few weeks. He uh, He has not been a part of the rotation since... Over a month ago, uh, the game in Memphis when uh, when they were completely depleted. So since Jimmy Butler was acquired, and saying that he was part of the rotation back, then, saying that he was ever part of the rotation would be yeah. would be kind. I think he had 54 minutes coming into the season, had accumulated a grand total, or coming into the game, had accumulated 12 points, uh, 12 rebounds, and three blocked shots in those 54 minutes. In uh, what? In 25 minutes tonight. He had nine rebounds and three block shots, or four block shots, I mean. So he had himself a coming out party. I do want to move back one second when we talked about the Raptors and who they were missing. That is a team that has had a lot of success without Kawhi Leonard. Um, They obviously had more than just Kawhi out in this game, but they have had found ways to win. They do have incredible depth, and they do play well as a team. Smoke Golden State on a back-to-back. They did. So this is a, a good win for the Sixers, even if it wasn't maybe the game that you were hoping coming in. And in the fourth quarter, it was to see somebody else you know, kind of have those, you know, road back-to-back legs that the Sixers had in San Antonio, which we'll get to soon. But they, uh, you know, it was, like you said, the story of the night. And I don't think any of us really expect to be talking about this when we came here to the Farg, as, as you like to call it. Yes, I do. Jonah Bolden. Um, he, he's, I, I said that wrong, too, by the way. He was in the rotation for two games, right? one of which... They had, like, eight guys in Memphis. So he has not been in the rotation at all this season. Yeah. Sorry for inter- interrupting. Go back. So he came out. You know, Mike Muscala, Wilson Chandler out. 
Mike Muscala picked up two quick fouls. Originally, Brett Brown goes to TJ McConnell to replace Muscala. And then, you know, Bolden checks in and immediately, blink of an eye, you know, I think you said he had like two block shots, an offensive rebound, an assist, and a five-foot air ball. (laughs) So it was a little bit of the entire Jonah Bolden experience. But on the whole, tonight was a very good night for him. He showed you that kind of defensive versatility, that kind of shot blocking around the, the rim. You know, Brett Brown after the game talked about his quick second jump. He showed you that he can move his feet a little bit on the perimeter, which is something the Sixers really don't have in any of their bigs, or at least the bigs who will go out there and, and show out on the perimeter like that. You know, obviously, Amir Johnson and Mike Muscala can't do it. Joel Embiid can do it, but they try to limit how frequently he does do it. Jonah, you can throw out there, and he's, he's going to go out there and move his feet. Maybe you can play a little more aggressive on some of those pick and rolls. Maybe you could ask him to be a little bit more of a disruptor. He's probably going to end up being out of position at times anyway, but you live with that if he's going to give you the kind of energy he did tonight. Love the way he moved his feet tonight. And for a team that early in the week, all we talked about is, oh, man, they can't guard anybody on the perimeter. That was a breath of fresh air. I, The fact that he was playing at Vegas in the D-League showcase uh, a few weeks yep. or a few days ago, I, you know, I, I know he's a pro and he has to stay ready, and, and that's just part of NBA life when you're a young player on a good team often. That's still crazy to me that you can you can just be playing in the D League and I you know I don't know what his stats are but I'm sure he shot the ball a billion times in those games and come into a role and, and play for a team that is trying to win the Eastern Conference is you know it, it was impressive and I think uh, it, it was certainly the best game he has played thus far this year and uh, Brett Brown after the game said that he thinks Bolden, you know, the plan before tonight was that he was going to play a lot more on the West Coast road trip. And, you know, I I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. You know, if we go from game to game, I'm sure Jonah, he might have a few more of those air balls and maybe not the uh, the defensive yeah. impact he had tonight. But I, I think we've, on this podcast, made light of how Wilson Chandler – on a lot of nights, is like the three and no no three and no D guy. Uh, if you can bring in some young legs like Bolden and, and get a little better better production, I you know I don't want to say Wilson Chandler's job's in jeopardy, but <laughs> no. uh, it's nice to have another option that you can throw in the game. Maybe when on a night when he doesn't have it, it is. And I think I think it's key, like you said, not to go game to game with Jonah Bolden because he's going to have some nights where I think you're going to look at him and, and it's, it's yeah, you're going to see the physical tools, but he's not going to be in position. He's going to make a lot of mistakes. The offensive game is going to be a struggle at times. But it is nice where if he comes out and he's giving you that energy from the jump, if he's in position to make some of those plays with his athleticism, that you can then keep him on the court. You know, a lot of times you'll see people reference like, you know, oh, when – you know, Korkmaz plays more than 20 minutes, he shoots 45% from three. And they use that and they say, well, then you should play Korkmaz more minutes. And no, it's usually that Korkmaz is playing well, so he continues to stay on the court. You're going to see a lot of that with Jonah Bolden, I think, where if he comes out and his first few minutes are positive, then you could see probably not many games where he gets 25 minutes because Wilson Chandler is going to come back. You know, Mike Muscala is not going to get in that early foul trouble. I, I wouldn't expect to see this all that often, but you could see 15 minutes from... Jonah Bolden, and maybe he'll change something with his his athleticism, which, like like we said, you really don't have outside of Embiid from that five spot. 
and I thought it was really interesting, by the way, that he came in before Amir Johnson. And look, Amir Johnson has not looked great this year. And that's, no, I'm only saying no, that he because he might name search himself, uh, you know, through a podcast. I don't even know how you do that, but he'll find a way. <laughs> he has not looked great this year. And we were we were pro Amir Johnson last year. Like he 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 gave you something defensively, even with his offensive limitations. That step, the clear step that he's lost defensively, has been tough on his game. And for Brett to have gone to Jonah, like we said, did Jonah get forced into some early minutes that you wouldn't have expected because of Muscala's foul trouble? Yes. But he did still go to him before Amir Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Amir, the, the only positive thing I can really say about his game so far this year is that he has taken the uh, the Steph Curry role of firing threes from inside the uh, the tunnel that leads to the locker room before the game and he almost kills people sometimes <laughs> they are they are so far off he does not quite have the touch of of Steph speaking of uh, of Corkmaz by the way I know I know our friend Mike always brings up how uh, how that pump fake gets him off his couch uh, sometimes <laughs> that pump fake is sweet though man it is he he gets people to jump very consistently and like, I do think part of it he has such a I, I called it a, a, a short release, but really what I meant was that the the downward portion of it, like he has such such a little dip, and it's so quick when he's into that shooting motion that I think it you, you don't have much time to figure out whether or not he's going to shoot or whether or not he's a pump fake. And I think he gets a lot of people off guard. He used that a couple times tonight where a pump fake, you know, just a dribble to the left, pull up, open three. He, you know, I don't want to make too much of Korkmaz. He is still a real bad defender. Although he, he, he got a few deflections tonight. Like he, he got he got his, his hands in some passing lanes. He's a little better than Landry Shamit. He's a little better than Landry Shamit who is is showing you know, when we had a lot of reservations about him at the draft and look he's performed much better than we would have expected. I we're think. happy with Landry. A I don't clear wanna... NBA player. Uh, we're not putting an X through his photo. But he does have his defensive limitations and I think we're seeing a lot of that. Now you know he's he he, he Weighed in at 189 pounds at six five, on the uh, at the combine last year, and you're seeing a lot of that on the perimeter fighting through screens right now. Korkmaz is a little bigger body, like we said, got his hands on a few passing lanes. He's going to have his off nights though, uh, and similar to what we were talking about with Bolden, you know, Shamit was down tonight, so he didn't get as many minutes. Korkmaz was playing well; he got 16 points off the bench. You can ride the hot hand a little bit. It is nice to have a multitude of shooters. It would be great if any of them played defense, but it would be helpful. It would be helpful for, be helpful. for sure. I like that. He's got the uh, he's got the short stroke. He's like the Chase Utley of, of shooting, <laughs> yes, basically. Yes, yes. The fir- the Firk man pumpeth. He uh, he's yeah he he has his nights as well. It's and that's kind of you know we'll get to that later. But these Sixers bit rotation players that what you're getting on a night to night basis, you have no idea. I, I haven't looked at the splits. I would imagine at home, they look like different players. A lot of, a lot of nights. I, I feel like when we're really complaining about them, it's often when they're on the road. Uh, speaking of, of the home crowd, the night three T's for, yeah. uh, for all of your they Sixers. They deserved all of them. Too. Sixers they stars. deserved every one of them. So I don't know what MB did, but, so Butler thought he got fouled in a three, and he basically didn't get back on defense because he was just complaining the whole way, and I think the Raptors scored. That was funny. Uh, ben Simmons. Which, I, by the way, he got fouled. He, I, I saw the replay. He got fouled. Yeah, I don't even care about the calls. I actually think two of the three probably were, they had really legitimate beasts on. 
Ben Simmons sat down <laughs> yeah. in the stands after the game. He was like, I, I don't know why I got fouled. And it's like, buddy, you sat in the stands. You can't, you can't do that. You sat in the stands and basically complained about the call. <laughs> right. He's like, I didn't say anything. You looked at the ref, I think, with your arms crossed on the <laughs> on the stands. I, I think that's probably going to be a tech. So we got a, uh, you know, we the Saturday night crowd, a few few uh, refuse suck chants. Uh, yeah, but besides that, you know, it was it was a night dreadful three point shooting on yeah. both sides tonight, and the Raptors. The Raptors just, launched forty of them. Yeah, and didn't make many. They didn't make many, and you know they missed some open ones. But I think you could tell, you know, especially in the second half, the Sixers they ratcheted up the defense. A lot of long contested ones. I thought uh, I thought Ben Simmons played really well defensively tonight. His rotations were kind of on point. Brett Brown calls it uh, putting out fires, kind of when. You know, somebody like Shamit or Korkmaz makes a mistake, and he kind of he rotates over, and then and then they figure it out from there. But yeah, it's uh, I was looking forward like the Sixers. I was looking forward to watch this team play against Kawhi because, I mean, we know that they're way better at home than they are on the road, and you know, even if it was on a back to back, you know, the Sixers have played the Raptors with, you know, on a, on a back to back, and it, it just would have been nice to see it, but. You know, you, you got to do what you got to do, and uh, they took advantage. That they did. And like you said, with Kawhi, that's a very different game. And the way he can match up with Ben Simmons, the way he can check him in transition, he has the speed and the quickness and the strength where Ben doesn't have a clear mismatch on him. And a lot of times tonight, Ben had, you know, Powell on him, and he has no chance in the post. And Ben does that to a lot of teams, and the Raptors are typically one team where he doesn't do that. But tonight he was able to, um, and, and Embiid still had Monroe to deal with, but Embiid didn't have quite the same number of big bodies to bang with. So it was not the test that we would have thought, but it was a good game. Speaking of Embiid, you know who didn't attempt any threes today, Rich? Joel Embiid. Joel Hans Embiid. Two games in a row now where he hasn't attempted a three. He came out after the game was pretty forceful. He hates taking threes now, Rich, which is what he says, which is contradicts what he said for two straight years about about the shot. Um, I think that probably has something to do with the fact that I think he's like four for 23 over his last like 12 games or something like that. He's really been struggling from the perimeter. Happens to coincide with when he starts complaining about taking the shot. And he even said today afterwards, you know, when we kind of pressed him on, well, why do you hate taking threes? You know, he doesn't think he should be shooting below 50%. That's dragging down his field goal percentage. I think at one point he said, you know, like if I was making more of them, I probably wouldn't mind taking them as much. Um, how much do you make of this? How much do you care that he's showing a little bit of angst about his role? And to be honest, he took some outside jumpers today. It's just he'd pump fake, dribble in, take a 17 to 18 footer instead of that 24 footer. I think we joked about it. I, I wish he said I hate doing behind-the-back dribbles in traffic, because that's, that's what I hate, uh, or, or dislike. Let's put it that way. I don't hate anything about Joel. It's uh, it's mildly annoying. I don't I don't know why he's complaining. You know, it's, it is it is noticeable that he shot, you know, he hasn't been shooting threes recently, and I, I do think part of that was matchups tonight. They After Monroe hit the bench, I mean, it was Siakam on him, and that's just... He just can't handle Joel in the post. And, you know, the Sixers were getting good looks out of him getting doubled. I I hope he realizes, though, that threes are not just... He talks about it all the time as 
well, they put me out here because I need to space the floor. And that's true. Like, I get that. I, I get that it's a little bit frustrating that Ben can't shoot, although he did make a... Uh, he did ten, make a turnaround, yep. He made, what, like a 10-footer? And I said to you, is that the farthest shot he's made all year? Uh, I, I get that that could be a little bit frustrating that you feel like you should be on the block at all times. But, dude, the, the league is not going away from big guys shooting threes. You need to shoot threes. Like, that is going to be the best thing for your development. And I think it's a little annoying. And, uh, it, it of course, you know, he, he goes on this long rant about how he... <laughs> how he hates shooting threes. And then, yeah, when you press him, he says, oh, well, I don't hate shooting threes. You know, it's just just one of these things. I uh, I don't know. It's, uh, what was, I, what I feel was that Bill Simmons quote? Well, it, uh, on Bill Simmons' podcast, and I know, you know, probably everybody's groaning right now, like, oh, man, he stinks or whatever. He, he said something al- along the lines that he's just like he's an overshare. He's one of these millennial overshares where he's just got to tell everybody how he's feeling at all times. And... I don't think that's completely true. I think that's kind of a <laughs> oversimplification, but it's a bit it, dismissive too, yeah. Yeah, but uh, but it was funny because Joel does seem to have, you know, some of these. He'll mm, let you know what's on his mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the best way to put it. Uh, but you know, I, I guess this is kind of just part of of a big guy figuring out how to uh, how to play in the the modern NBA when you know they're going away from big guys a lot. And look, he was he spent. The summer out there working with Drew Hanlon, and Hanlon would talk about how he's needs to refine up his face-up game, his dribble-drive game. Like, don't make any mistake about this. Joel Embiid wants to have perimeter skills, too. And Joel Embiid, historically, you know, last year I remember when he was going out to the All-Star game, he was talking about jacking up a bunch of threes. He has always enjoyed that shot. He has always called himself, I'm not a big man, I'm a basketball player. Now, all of a sudden, in the last couple of weeks, he's had an about-face about that and be like, no, I want to be on the block. I don't want to shoot threes. I hate shooting threes. You know, I do think a large portion of it is that he's just not making the shots that he used to make. By the way, both in the post, too. When he first started complaining about uh, not getting enough post touches, I ran the numbers. He was actually getting the same amount of post touches, the same amount of paint touches. He just wasn't converting them. So I think now he's pulling back out of that. He's doing so right now without the three-point shot because he's really been in a funk for, you know, probably the last three, four weeks. So does he recalibrate that maybe when he's a little bit more comfortable and confident in that shot? Probably. Is there probably a little bit where he, you know, realized, look, there's nobody who can really guard me in the post. I should make that a portion of my, you know, bigger portion of my game. Probably that, there's probably a little bit of that at play too. He'll figure it out. And I, to be honest, I think Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler and all, I, I don't worry too much about them figuring out. I think they will. Um, I think they are. They, I think they are. They play yeah. great together. They 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 have. And you look at all their lineups when they're on the court together. You look at the Sixers as a whole. I think coming into this game, they were the third-ranked offense in the entire NBA since the Jimmy Butler acquisition. Ben Simmons, I think, has taken his game up a notch lately, except for that game against the Raptors a couple weeks ago with Kawhi in the lineup. Um, he looked real good tonight attacking the rim. Uh, he, he looks like he's gaining a little bit of confidence finishing at the rim in a multitude of different angles that maybe he, he, he wasn't confident doing at LSU or last year. It, it, it is a little interesting that Joel has been perturbed like he has lately, but I don't think it's that long of a term problem. Yeah, what is annoying to me 
more than anything is that f- for a smart guy and somebody who clearly knows, you know, usually why his team plays well, which is, of course, Joel is a major reason of why his team plays well and when they're screwing up, he's saying stuff that isn't backed up by any numbers. And, you, you know, focusing on the offense and I need more post touches. The offense isn't the problem, man. Right. It's defense. Right. You guys are playing good offense. Your post touches are the exact same. That is uh, is what is a little annoying. The numbers, I, I know there's the five-man unit and people go uh, nuts about that, but the, the one that matters to me more, four-man four man with, with Redick and those three guys, 100, uh, 222 minutes, 114 offensive rating, 97 defensive rating. That will do. That will do, yes. That'll do. Uh, so that's good. And that feels a little more playoff sustainable than last year's starting lineup. Yeah. The uh, Speaking of Embiid, that, that had to be the fastest he got out of the, the locker room. It was. Tonight. You wonder if Embiid's got plans on a Saturday night. I think I think he might have a plan. <laughs> he might, he might want to do something. But as, you know, I, I don't You guys probably have seen this if you pay attention to the post games at all and watch on uh, NBC Sports. But Ben Simmons is a guy who he gets showered and dressed. He must like he's already dressed when we get in the locker room, and they've kind of changed the setup a little bit where they're in the uh, the interview room this year. But Ben Simmons is a guy who just wants to get the f out afterwards, and I would also be one of those guys. But uh, Embiid's a guy who usually takes his dear sweet time, and probably for the first time in his career, Embiid beat. Uh, beat Ben out of the locker room today. So, yeah, I think Joel probably has some plans tonight, and good for him. He's got a couple days off before uh, before Boston. He, uh, I, I, I got to laugh when he said, I'm a little sad that Baines is out of the game, even though uh, <laughs> even though he actually meant it. He was like, he plays hard. I don't know. Just just all the shit talk he's done <laughs> against Baines for all of his career. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is there anything you really take away from this? Wait, nope. or do you just kind of throw it out? Oh. Nah. Yeah. They they did their job. That's about it, though. I bet they did. All right. We will move on to talking a little bit more about previous action and also about Elton Brand, who gave a gave a talk here, um, an unexpected talk today uh, before the game. Before that, a real quick word from Harry's. As guys, we can be difficult to shop for, but Harry's is a perfect gift. It's a product that, quite honestly, is easy for me to endorse because I, I do legitimately use Harry's every day, and I have for almost two years now. Uh, and if you go to the store and you pick up a pack of razor blades, quite frankly, you can run into some sticker shock. And you might believe that in order to get quality blades, you have to pay an obscene amount of money. That's not the case. At Harry's, you can get high-quality German-engineered blades for, for as little as $2 each making it easy on your wallet to replenish when the time comes, but without sacrificing any quality. I'm not kidding when I say this, but I order these, and to be clear, I actually do buy these for myself and with my own money, but I order these 16 blades at a time. I use them that frequently. I've been using them nonstop for two years straight. Get someone the gift of Harry's, and you'll give them not only a practical gift that they'll actually use, but you'll also end up saving them money on replacement blades down the line. It's a gift that keeps on giving. And I'm not the only one telling you this. Harry's has a 4.5 out of 5 star rating on Trustpilot. You can even personalize it to make it feel special, selecting a color that's right for him, and now with a limited edition holiday handles. Harry's even has the option to get it personally engraved. 
As a special offer for fans of this show, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off of any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets when you go to harrys.com slash sixersbeat. This offer is for both new and returning customers and is only available for the holidays. Each Harry's shaving set comes with an ergonomic weighted handle with an option to engrave. German-engineered five-blade cartridges that provide a close, comfortable shave, foaming shave gel for a rich lather, a travel cover to protect your blades, and a handsome holiday gift box. Or, if you want something for yourself, you can redeem a Harry's trial offer to experience the quality of shave before committing. Shipping cutoff ends this week, so act now. Go to harrys.com slash sixersbeat right now to get $5 off of any shave set while supplies last. That's harrys.com slash sixersbeat. Alright, so Elton Brand, before the game, spoke for, what, maybe 15 minutes. Nothing really earth-shattering. You know, I think probably the biggest takeaway is going to be about Markel Foltz and Zaire Smith. Markel, I guess the rundown is he is over at, you know, in L.A., doing the physical therapy that they, they announced. They said that he is not currently doing basketball drills. It's focused on physical therapy. Um, and I guess the biggest takeaway is probably going to be when pressed, you know, do you think he's going to, or is he going to play again? I think was a question. And Elton said he couldn't answer that. He didn't, he didn't know, but he would have more information in the coming weeks. What, if anything, do we take out of this? I think it's something that, you know, we've talked about a lot. It's just that the Sixers are so uncertain of, on how to handle this and not in a way where I'm criticizing them. Yeah, they just but, don't know. But they just don't know. Yeah. And it's clear. And they're, you know, Elton, ever since Markell uh, was pulled out uh, of play by by his attorney or agent or... Or both. Or whatever, or uh, Raymond Brothers. I think the, the main takeaway from what Elton has said is that we're going to support him, but we don't know. We, we don't know how it's going to be handled. And, you know, tonight, when Elton was pressed about it, it was easy to notice the difference between what's going on with Markel. What's going on with Zaire. And what's going on with Zaire. Zaire, uh, who, you know, we asked about him, and I think Elton said that he's just doing shooting, not uh, not a lot of running. Shooting, weightlifting, PT, that kind of stuff. Not a lot of running. Not a lot of running yet. Zaire, who, you know, I, I don't know if anybody saw Texas Tech tweeted out the picture a few days ago. And I think we knew, uh, you know, it was we were told that he had lost a ton of weight. But you could really see it. Yeah. And, uh, it's one thing to be told he lost 20, 25 pounds. But seeing it, he, uh, he he's lost some weight. Yeah. We're, we're visual learners here. Right, right. Uh, and that, that poor kid's last four months have been hell. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully he comes back. But, you know, again, Elton doesn't know about Markel, but when he says Zaire, who, you know, seemingly not, you know, running yet, looks like he lost a lot of weight, he said, he's coming back this year. He's going to play. Uh, I don't know, you know, and I, I think that's kind of the, the biggest thing to take from this is that, uh, that the Sixers don't know exactly what they're going to get from Markel. Although it wasn't it fun. I, I did find it a little bit funny. As far as the Sixers GM availability, that was probably the least controversial one ever, right. just because Markel 
is kind of out of sight, out of mind at this point. And it's also within that window where they said, or not they said, because officially the team said out indefinitely, then it was leaked at three to six weeks. But it was within that window where, you know, we're like two and a half weeks out. Everything right now is quote unquote going according to plan. Like you're not, nothing unexpected has happened yet. You know, in terms of Elton answering the, do you expect me back this year comment this season? Don't want anyone to think I'm talking about the next nine days. I'm talking about this season, the 2018-19 season. There's part of me that just doesn't know entirely how to read Elton. Like, if he says, I don't know, is that just like he doesn't want to commit? Is that a real doubt on his part? But I think, like you said, I think the biggest thing is they just don't know. And not only because they aren't running the ship, but it's like we said a couple podcasts back. Like, first of all, whoever leaked that the expectation is three to six weeks, that was a real tough position to put this kid in. Because if that doesn't happen, and like we said, even if you take the most optimistic viewing of the situation at face value, which is that it's the thoracic outlet syndrome, get that resolved, he's back. The most optimistic way to look at it, he's still been shooting the basketball wrong for a year and a half and has the confidence issues that came from that. And to think that that's going to be resolved in three weeks or even six weeks, that's putting a lot of pressure on a kid to really relearn how to shoot, like we said, after not shooting correctly for a year and a half. So And then jump right back into the, you know, the stretch run right, of an like NBA team trying to make an NBA Finals run. Yeah. And then you have his agent saying, oh, well, there's it's only ever been physical. He's going to come back and be the player that he was. And it's like, can we stop putting too much pressure on a kid that I don't know if any of us really have a full grasp of what he's going through? Like, why? 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 And I think to the Sixers' credit, they're trying to not do that. They are. Certainly with the comments here, they are. Like I said, I just I, I don't know why the three to six week thing came out. Yeah. Like what they said in the press release, we don't know. That was the right way to go about it, I think. The organization would have gotten some heat for it. But if he doesn't come back now in, in six weeks, which I think is what, like maybe end of January-ish, like that kind of time frame, yep. then now it's a story. And I, do we know if he's going to have a working jump shot? But I, I don't know. Elton Brand doesn't seem like he knows. They should have just stuck with that from the beginning. Yep. Any other uh Well take, Zaire, um takeaways from I mean it sounded like Zaire, like you said, hasn't really started running yet, so it doesn't seem like he's close. If he comes back and I Elton Brand was pretty specific or confident at least that he would come back, that was, he would play this season. A little surprised by that. Yeah. And he said he'd he'd start in the G League, which everybody I think assumed. Um and then depending on how that goes would, would determine next steps. It doesn't sound like we're close. And I think you know, give him time to get back into basketball shape, literally in terms of the weight loss and cardiovascular. Um, we'll know more when he starts actually getting some running. It, it just sounds like, uh, to me, it just sounds like he's having the year from hell. And it, it, if he doesn't come back by the end of the year, the the one thing, and I don't think too many people have uh, have been pushing this, but w- you would be stunned. If he is a part of this rotation at any part of the year, yeah, no, I mean he he he's missed too much time. He's too young. He was a project coming in anyway. He's he's you know lost twenty pounds on a kid who wasn't that big. Um, he's he's coming in this late in the season. I mean, we talked about that with Markel last year. This is almost even. Uh, I don't want to compare the two situations because they're so unique. 
this would be really tough. And Markel was a more well-rounded player coming into the league, theoretically at least, while he, his jump shot was still with him. Z- Zaire was a, a project. It, no, I don't exp- when they're playing playoff games against Boston Celtics, no, I don't think Zaire Smith is going to solve any problems in you know May 2019. Even if he was healthy, which he's not right now right. in multiple ways, uh, and the idea that you could just throw him on the opposing team's best perimeter player and he would just shut them down in a way that would be that much more effective than someone like Corkmaz or, or Shamit who is way better on the other end of the floor. I just, I, I don't see it, but look, yeah. And by the just, way, you've, you've got, you know, three non shooters right now. If Markel comes back in Ben TJ and Markel throwing another fourth one out there is going to be tough. Yeah. And I, I, I just think, yeah, you know, for Zaire, the goal is just just, just, get, just get that get that weight back on. Uh, hopefully, get some time in the G League, and then you know we'll start over again next year and and hope he comes back. But yeah, it's you know it'll be interesting to see uh, see what they get from. Him. Is there anything else you want to do? Uh, do your rant about the fifteenth roster spot. Well, so he, Elton was asked about the fifteenth roster spot by you. Did I ask that question? No, I'm not sure. Actually, I don't remember. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Elton was asked about the 15th roster spot. You know, kind of said, you know, Brett had talked about a perimeter defender. Elton's like, no, I think we need more big men depth. I think that's our biggest concern. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? Um, the reason he gave for not using the 15th roster spot right now is flexibility. We want to be flexible for the buyout market. We want to be flexible for a trade. Rich, am I living in, like, bizarro world here? Like, why does this matter? Give out a minimum contract right now to somebody in the G League or whatever. If somebody becomes available in the buyout, cut the guy. You lose a prorated $1.3 million. Who fucking cares? You can get a live body for... You, you haven't had a live body all season on that spot for a team that needs whatever you want to say. Perimeter defenders, size, energy, athleticism, youth. They could use all of that. I, the excuse that they're maintaining flexibility, tell me how. Tell me how you're maintaining flexibility. All you're doing is saving the owners money right now. That's the only logical conclusion I can come and to. It's a drop in the bucket for those guys. Drop right? it in the bucket. Yeah. It's not even like the way it's set up. I think it's set up so even if you sign a vet to a minimum contract, you only pay the I think the two year minimum, which is like one point three million. Anything else, I think the league reimburses you for. If you sign like, somebody now, you're paying a prorated portion of that. Like. Get a fifteenth guy on. I, I know some other teams do it. I know Golden State's pretty, um, pretty infamous for not using that fifteenth roster spot for much of the season. You're not Golden State. You don't have the you don't have the star depth Golden State does. And oh, by the way, Golden State's struggling a little bit right now too because they're not deep. Right. Use it. Play the margins. Why? Why don't they even bother playing? This is a team that sells second round picks like it's candy. Play the fucking margins a little bit. I don't get it. And if, Good rant. I I know there's Sixers, and I reach out to people. I know there's Sixers executives that listen. If you want to tell me, enlighten me, please. I don't get it. I don't get it. And at this point, we're you know two and a half weeks away from you know ten day season. They'll probably end up using it there. But you've wasted over. A th- Brett likes to say you're coming up on a, on a oh. third mark. You're way past a third of the season where you could have used a fifteenth roster spot. What is with him doing this? Yeah, by the know. way, he keeps saying, "Well, he, we can't judge a team until after the first third of the season." Uh, 
is the season 110 games? Uh, he, he keeps saying Christmas is the, the third mark. I think he goes by calendar, and since they start the season earlier now, maybe that's throwing him off and it's just a, an old habit. I don't know. They're more than a third of the way through the season. He he keeps going. Like last week he's asked, so where do you think the team is at? And he goes, I'll know after the first third of the season in a week. You know after they're going to play the Knicks and a shorthanded Raptors team probably? Now, now we have a definitive uh, read on things. That's just kind of a, it's kind of an, an inside media type thing. But, uh, yeah, it, the first third of the season is long gone, man. Yes, it is. All right, we have – a little bit more to get into, including that um, Spurs game. Before we do that, a quick word from Warming Store, um, one of my favorite companies and a local Philadelphia company, which is really some of the best manufacturer of some of the world's best battery-heated clothing to help you get through what should be a, an upcoming difficult winter season. I know yesterday it was 50, today it was in the 40s, so we've had a little bit of warmth here, but Winter is coming. Action Heat Clothing is engineered to safely and efficiently de- deliver heat via heating panels similar to a heated car seat. They can reach temperatures up to 135 degrees Fahrenheit and are powered by rechargeable 5-volt lithium-ion batteries that last up to 12 hours on each charge. Action Heat batteries can also be used to recharge your phone or any other gadget while you're wearing them. These are great last-minute gifts for any friend or family on your holiday gift list, for anyone who works outdoors, for skiers or snowboarders, for anybody that loves going outdoors but hates being cold, or for the sports reporter in your life who has to walk out of this wind tunnel after the game, which is always the worst. It's wind tunnel season. It is wind tunnel season. Action Heat Clothing provides toasty warmth and comfort for your whole body starting at just thirty nine ninety five. Heated products include heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like heated base layer shirts and long johns and are available in men's and women's sizes with great new styles and models just released for this winter season. Make winter activities more enjoyable with a blast of warmth. Action Heat is a perfect solution to keep you toasty and warm, even in the most frigid winter weather. Like we mentioned, we are about to head out into a real wind tunnel here outside of the Wells Fargo Center, but at the very least, I will have my Action Heated gloves to keep me warm. Powered by AA batteries with an easy on-off switch, which will keep my hands nice and toasty while dealing with that cold, dreaded wind. Join in on the fun. We've got a special offer for our listeners. Save 20% off your entire order. Just go to actionheat.com slash sixers to check out everything has Action Heat has to offer. That's actionheat.com slash sixers or use a coupon code sixers at checkout to save 20%. All right. So the Spurs game. Other end of the spectrum. Not this, great. Not great. Not great, Bob. This time the Sixers were the team on the road back to back. And boy, did they play like it. Whew. I I mean, my so, lasting memory... By the way, that, I, I, one thing about the Spurs. First of all, they're not a good defensive team. Oh. And so when the Sixers look real... You know, a lot, of, a lot of people came out and were like, oh, well, the Sixers can't execute against a good defensive team. That is not a good defensive team. It's a bad defensive team. They might fact. be a, 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 a team that may execute their scheme well, or at least know where they need to be, but they do not have the personnel to be a good defensive team. And I think they're somewhere right around like 20th, I want to say. What they have been lately is a really, really good offensive team. And what I, I think I saw, I think it was Ben Falk actually who tweeted this. Over the last 11 games heading into the night, they had the best net rating in the league. And I think they had the best offense by a considerable margin. So it's not just the Sixers that they've been taking apart, but they've been playing really good offensive basketball. And oh, by the way, the Sixers look, Sixers look like a tired team 
on the tail end of a road back-to-back in that game. Yeah, and that was the, the perimeter defense. The Spurs are a team that takes great care of the ball. They don't always take the greatest shots in the world, a lot of mid-rangers, but they they have somebody in DeRozan who you know has had big games against them in the past who can attack some of their weaker defenders. And early, early in that game, you know, as, as much as we talk about Shamit and, uh, and Furkan, TJ Pop was just <laughs> yeah. merciless running a TJ. Probably like what, you're going you're gonna to switch TJ onto DeMar? Yes, we'll take that every time. Oh, my God, they had Forbes or whoever he was guarding screen for him. And it was, yeah, it was bad. And the Sixers didn't execute offensively. Uh, I don't know. It, that game feels like it was so long ago, but it, that that's one of the nights where, oh, man, Shamit's getting roasted on the defensive yeah. end. Furkin's getting roasted on the defensive end. That, that's the the problem with having these inconsistent bench pieces. And, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. It's uh, We'll get into it in a little bit, but besides filling that 15th roster spot, I'm yeah. not sure – there is a trade to be made uh, for any of these guys. No, and this this is where you worry about in the playoffs. Well, you like Shamit, and he was a win at where he was selected. How much can you get away playing him against a healthy Toronto team or a healthy Boston team, or if you make it to the finals, whoever you would make, in, uh, you know, play in the finals. By the way, Landry Shamit got attacked pretty good tonight. He did. Too. He did. Uh, against a, a beat-up Toronto team. How much can you really play Furkan Korkmaz or TJ McConnell? Certainly not with Ben Simmons, and they've been running that line about there a lot lately. But how much can you play him when he's... And look, TJ's real easy to root for. You know, he tries hard. He generally knows what he's doing. Although he, he makes mistakes, but he more or less knows the scheme that he's in. His celebrations are the best in the league. Best I- in the league. He's 6-1 and slow laterally. Like, there's a limit... In some matchups, he, he's weird. Some matchups, he'll be a plus defender. And in some matchups, he'll be a huge negative. And lately, he's been a huge negative because TJ McConnell is a third-string 10- to 15-minute point guard who's now playing 25-plus minutes per night. Uh, I think he can be a backup point he, guard for some teams. Maybe, depending on your other personnel. If your other personnel isn't J.J. Redick, Landry Shamit, and Furkin Korkmaz on the perimeter. That's a problem. We said before the season, if TJ's in your long-term plans, if TJ's here... Quite frankly, next season, if the Sixers are the ones who give him the most money and the most years in free agency, if TJ's playing a major role, it means something really bad went on with Markel Fultz. And this is certainly not the position the Sixers wanted to be in in terms of their depth. This is not the position anyone hoped they would be in. But it would be easy to get frustrated with TJ for not being taller. But when I take a step back and I look at it, and you look at the options that they have to run out there, Especially defensively. And perimeter defense has been probably our most, not probably, easily our most consistent criticism of this team all season long. It's why they've been an average defensive team for most of the year. Even though you have three elite defenders in Embiid, Simmons, and originally Covington, now Jimmy Butler. They just have nobody who night to night, outside of those top three, is a plus defender. Nobody. Wilson Chandler sometimes can be, but more often than not, looks like the 33-year-old or whatever player that he is. Mike Muscala certainly isn't. Amir Johnson isn't even close. He's now out of the rotation for Jonah Bolden. TJ McConnell, you know, a fourth of the games 
is a plus defender, and then the rest of them is not. They have a serious talent deficit on the perimeter, especially defensively. And we were talking about this the other day, uh, before the, the, which game was it? The Knicks game, I think. Since Brian Colangelo took over, so you're talking spring 2016, how many moves that did they make where you would say that did better than expected? Uh, it might only be Landry, Landry Shamit. Shamit. Yeah, <laughs> that might be the only one. Maybe Jonah Bolden, but th- we're not there yet. No. Maybe, yeah, even, maybe Zaire, maybe. I mean, even, you know, J.J. Redick, I think, has been a great fit, but. We all called that. Like we, that I would say that is as expected. Yeah, and and that that was also a move where, you know, you, you paid a premium to bring right. him in short term. It's not. I don't want to say that was a bad move. No, but, it certainly wasn't a bad move. But it also was something we all saw coming. Right, and same thing with Ben Simmons. Like everyone could like you got you got it right. That was important, but. He, I think everybody would have picked Ben Simmons. I, I think I think the way I've always described that is that's getting points for putting your name on the SAT. Like yeah. you had to get that one right. If you didn't do that, then why even bother? A lot of these were defensible at the times. A l- good portion of them we defended, but you have to get you you can't go three plus years not making. You you've, you've got to have you're going to have misses. That that's a part of this business. There have not been enough successes to offset that and when you do that you know we always argued well is it going to be death by a thousand cuts or a lot of people like you know they they didn't maximize maybe noel's trade value they didn't maximize um you know a whole lot of okafor's trade value and then you, you get to the draft picks and they haven't hit on enough draft picks they've been selling second round picks like candy is it is it going to be death by a thousand cuts and we were like well if Markel works out, then it probably doesn't matter all these these um, all of these misses that you had. Well, you've got death by a thousand cuts, and right now, you know Markel still has time to turn around. But right now, you also have a you know a gaping wound in your abdomen too. It's like I, I compared it the other night. It's like when Harry Potter, when somebody gets the they get the Avada Kedavra, and there's just a gaping <laughs> hole in their chest. Yeah, so that's rough. Yeah, I know. I, I totally agree with what you were saying. Um, you know what? It's kind of bothering me, by the way. This is really stupid. The fact that Mike Muscala, the whole crowd chants moose every time he shoots a three, and he's a thirty-five percent three-point right, shooter. Right. Like it's not, it's not that good. But I guess Philly fans just love it. I mean, it's like the Deuce Staley thing. They just love. Yeah, it's it's the sound of the name. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's a seven-footer launching a three with no consciousness. Combination of things. He stunk tonight, by the way. He stunk a quite a few nights lately. Yeah. Um, another one of those ones where defensible move at the time hasn't worked out. Some of these have got to start working out. Okay, a few more things to finish up uh, before we head out. But before that, a quick word from Robinhood, an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, cryptocurrencies, and ETS, and all commission-free. Robinhood tries to make financial services available for everyone in a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time and with true confidence. And with a simple, intuitive, and clear design, with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. With Robinhood, you learn by doing, as they let you discover new stocks and track favorite companies with your own personalized newsfeed. And you receive receive custom notifications for price movements, so you never miss the right moment to invest. Trading platforms require a lot of information to be available for your decision. And if not done properly, that information can be overwhelming. Having used a number of these different apps before, I can truthfully say that this is where Robinhood left the strongest impression. 
as they present the information clearly and with everything you need at the touch of a button, but without overwhelming you in the process. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at sixers.robinhood.com. Once again, that's sixers.robinhood.com. All right, so as we referenced, and apologies for some of that noise previously, they are cleaning up the room that we're recording a podcast in. We thought we found a, a safe, quiet spot. Nowhere to hide in this, this building. <laughs> it turns out they've got to do a lot of post-game... Icecapades coming up. <laughs> yeah. All right, so since the Jimmy Butler acquisition, they've been a top three offense, at least coming into the tonight's game against the Raptors. I mean, they, they put up, what, 126 tonight, so that might even improve. Yeah, they're, they're still third. How much of that do you buy? Maybe not top three. You know, I need to see what they're shooting from uh, from three yeah. in that time, and kind of you know dig into some some of those numbers that that could explain it. And you know, it feels like they haven't played the toughest schedule in the world. We'll see how they do on this West Coast trip. But yes, I think this is a good offense. Joel Embiid and and Jimmy Butler. It, do you think that Jimmy Butler gets too many questions asked about? Why he's not aggressive enough? Every, every every press conference he gets asked why he's not aggressive enough. Trust me, that is not something you're going to have to worry about with Jimmy Butler for too long. Like if he's not being aggressive, you say okay that like he's really trying to fit in. He's really trying to be a good teammate. When he needs to turn it on, he will turn it on. Yeah. And by the way, he's still scoring a lot of points. Not tonight. I think he only had twelve tonight. But the Sixers' other big three had a uh, twenty each. Yeah, and. I mean, Redick, Simmons, and Embiid probably combined for like 75 points. They're asking – he gets asked that all the time. It's crazy. His – I mean, per minute, his shot attempts are up a little bit since he got here. It's the same I think, thing. I think he's not getting the line. I, I guess his usage rate is probably lower, but he's not creating as much for others. He's not getting the free it's throw just, line quite as much. Yeah, assists yeah. are down. Free throws are down a, a little bit on both of those, but not a, right. not a ton. I don't know. I feel like he's done a really, you know, and we, we say this every podcast, but I'm very impressed by how well it's worked right away. And yeah. I like, you know, Brett gets so much shit for the offense he runs. He has a simple package of plays that he runs for Butler, these, these pick and rolls and isos and things like that, and those seem to work. And... They're a top three offense uh, since acquiring them. If I had to guess, it'll probably settle in, I don't know, like lower end of the top ten range. Yeah. That's good. Because coming into the season, what did we say? We said that this is a top three. De- we said this. I well, mean, it, we, it was a different team. But we, we said it was a top three defense. Whoops. And that was what, you know, they were going to be able to bank on. I mean, how crazy is it that it's been the complete opposite? And we're wondering if they can get enough stops. I think they can. Uh, I think the defense will get. I think, you know, I don't know. What's the defense been since Butler was here? 16. 16th. Probably both of those will meet in the middle. Yep. Right? You know, like top 10 offense, top 10 defense. And that's the formula for a really good team. Whether they, they make it to a a title or not, that's generally, you know, what a championship team needs. Unless you're Cleveland and have LeBron James. And right. Don't play defense the whole year. And I remember looking at numbers. And part of the problem with the Sixers' offense is that they don't get stops. Like, the Sixers are the second worst team in the league at forcing turnovers. Terrible. Which, again, is, is surprising because you have Embiid and Simmons and Butler. 
and both of those last two guys have really quick hands. But you have literally nobody else forcing turnovers at a consistent rate on the perimeter. And it's a problem because Ben Simmons, as you saw tonight, Monster or last night by the time you, you listen to this, tech by the time we release it, it's 11.50 p.m. now, and I've got to listen to it because I'm OCD about shit. But Ben Simmons is just an absolute terror in transition. So you're, we talk a whole lot about limiting Embiid in the post because you don't have the shooters or you have a couple of non-shooters around him. Well, you limit Simmons a little bit too in transition because you just don't get stops. You don't get live ball turnovers. And I, I was listening to Spike on, and, and the guys at the Ricky, as, as TJ called him. <laughs> you know, and he said, well, that's not playoff Great. basketball. That's not going to help you. Great Players Tribune article. Good Players Tribune article. Um, that's not going to help you in the playoffs. Well, yeah, it is. You might not get as many transition opportunities in the playoffs, but you will get some. And turnovers still happen in the playoffs. Uh, and getting more of them is better than getting fewer of them. Like, that doesn't go away in the, in, in, in the postseason. So it would be helpful if they could get a few more of those opportunities, get some easy points. They don't get as many as they should. They're pretty good off of, of rebounds still pushing. But is there a little, you know, I think the biggest variable in the bad team, the good team, you know, swing is Ben Simmons and his effectiveness. I and, think he's their the barometer for how they're playing. Yeah. And is there concern that a team like Toronto that has a Kawhi that can throw on him yeah, there's some concern there. Yeah, there's a, a lot of it. There aren't many teams that can do that. You know, Boston, to some degree, you know, Horford had a lot of success, more than you would have expected considering, you know, he's a little older, plays center, 6'9", 6'10". He's had success. Kawhi's had success. There are specific teams that can frustrate Ben and then use his lack of spacing on Embiid, and that they have to figure out, no doubt about it. But as a team, as a whole... They're playing a really good brand of basketball right now. Will that carry over to the playoffs, specifically the playoff teams that they have to go up against? I do think they need to add some depth, add some defense, add some easy opportunities, and still figure out a little bit how to play off of each other. But they're they're, they're playing. I mean, this is a transition, and for you know they've had how many games? You've got NBA stats pulled up. How many games have they played since the Butler trade? They have played what, 19, 19 games. I think they figured it out quicker than we would have expected. I think they're further along offensively than we would have expected. If they get that defense back anywhere near where it was at last year's level, this will be a very I don't I don't know how they do that. And that's a, a good transition into our final segment. I don't know how they do that because I don't know how you're going to get the pieces to get back up to that level. Um but offensively, you know, they have they they have a adding Butler's a good addition. Uh, I think I think Simmons has had some growth here lately. Like we we talked today, he was finishing really well around the rim. His numbers, I'm looking at that number right now. It's actually a little bit down, not much. I mean, from from seventy one percent at the rim, his oh, okay. is a uh, field goal percentage, and it's down to sixty nine percent. Nice, yes. Uh, That's also, but, it's, but it it's, feels it's, like it feels like I. You said this during the game, and I agree with you. It feels like his touch is better this yeah. year when he when he makes some some of those spin moves and. His, his rookie season at times, he'd clank them off the backboard, and they'd just kind of go in. You'd be like, yeah, yeah okay, I'm not, I'm it went not, in. I'm not feeling that. Uh, he he seems like he has more of a game plan when he gets into the lane lately. Yeah. And, you know, that number alone, it'd be interesting to see the volume on top of that. But even that number, then, you're talking, well, is that a transition 
at rim opportunity? Is that half court? It would be interesting to dive into that. Maybe that's something we should do shortly over at theathletic.com slash Philly. Uh, subscribe if you haven't. But I just going by the eye test, it feels like he is a little more confident, a little more under control at the rim. And he's even getting there. You know, he's posting up more. And I, th- I think, you know, Embiid's going to complain about that, pushing him to the perimeter. But he's such an elite passer out of the post that if he can make himself a threat, that's a good thing. You can play mismatch basketball and you can pick out weak defenders. You know, he's done a little more off the pick and roll in terms of attacking as a scorer. I think he's making some progress in becoming a more well-rounded basketball player with the one huge and obvious caveat that he still doesn't shoot the basketball. I, I think it was one of the guys on Dunked On. That I like the way this was put. Ben Simmons is a Monet with a smudge in the corner. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a decent way to put it. Yeah, he he has played a lot better. I thought, and again, I said this earlier. I thought his defense was excellent tonight yes. when he's just active and he's really good. Um, Watching him close out on a guy on a corner, oh, and just so good, completely under control, run him off the line. It's it's really impressive. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, we saw him get out and transition tonight, and that's where he's a lot of fun. Even though he took. Uh, Took a few steps. He loves the move in the lane, by the way, where he kind of just extends the ball and, like, holds it out, like, when he does the fake spin move. That's the one uh, kind of irrelevant move. It doesn't really help him at all. He doesn't gain an advantage off it. The other one I love is that Korkmaz, if there's a loose ball and it's on his right hand, (laughs) he will put that sucker behind his back before the other guy can get it. Oh, he freaking loves it. He freaking loves that. Uh, The, uh, you know, what a... what else we got here? I think I think at an hour into the podcast, I think that's quite frankly. I'm looking at it at 11:56. I've got an hour drive home. I'm probably just about well, ready I, to head on out of here. Quick thing, I guess we, you know, I wrote about this earlier this week on the Athletic. I don't think they're going to be able to trade for anybody that of consequence, just because I don't think they have the salaries to match up for it. Uh, so I, you know, it, again, I. The next time the Sixers have a bad game where where they're getting attacked on the perimeter and the sky is falling, I think you know we try not to get too high after uh, a win, too low after a loss. I don't think they're going to be able to plug those holes in the trade market because they traded Jared Bayless's contract away. Yeah, and it, it depends what they do with Markel. Like Markel is both a young player and a contract. Uh, you start getting into. But we like, also don't think they're trading Markel. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll we'll see. I don't um, know. Elton? He, he, I think he's gonna have to come back and play basketball. That's for for, for sure. Uh, I I have no no ability whatsoever to predict the Markel. When the GM is saying I don't know, yeah, for him to play basketball at a level that would solicit like a first round pick or something coming back in a trade, which is probably all the Sixers, they they would need something good yeah. to to trade him. Uh, so yeah, I don't but see that happening. You, you still have. In terms of tradable assets, you've obviously got that 2021 Miami pick, which is a prize of what the Sixers have that's not a, a current player. A lot of seconds, too. That that Chicago second this year is a, 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 good a borderline first. You know, I had... It's also one I think they should probably keep. They, I mean, ideally, but right? <laughs> the, the interesting would be, like, Justin Holiday. Would you give Chicago back their second for Justin Holiday? I'm, I don't know. Does he play enough defense for, for that, though? I don't... I don't know. I mean, it would be good to get a guy with length that can shoot a little bit, could theoretically play 
better defense than anyone they have. Yeah. Um, well, anyone they have outside of Butler and Simmons. It's 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 tough. It's tough. It's it's hard. It's hard. It, it, oh, like you said the last time, R.I.P. Um, we I was talking about this with Kyle uh, like the other day. In the future, you know, we talk about all these depth uh, issues this team has. Those second round picks are about to become important again. Yeah. They were cheap young talent for sure. They were really important at the beginning of the process when Hinky would take four guys, he'd stash two of them, and the other two would play 35 minutes a game and maybe he'd trade them, you know, after the year. I think KJ McDaniels was like the second most interesting guy on the team at one point, and I don't know what he's doing now. Those are going to be important. They need cheap young talent, and to their credit, they have a lot of them in the upcoming years. They I mean, have a- they. They were also important when they took Pesechniks ahead of Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart and, you know, Shemi Ojale and Jordan Bell. Like, they were important back then, too. Uh, they just, they they didn't value them. They, they didn't, didn't value, value them, them, and they also made the, or they valued their own players too much. Yeah. We have, it was like we. You had we, to say that Nick Stauskas. Nick Stauskas, Stauskas yeah. is always the one that, that gets brought up, and I think deservedly so. Why? You know, I'm just thinking, if, if you would have just, that summer, just cut Okafor, cut Stauskas, you could have not only used those two roster spots on second-round picks or a late first-round pick that is actually going to play in the NBA. And, you know, this was pointed out on Twitter, but congratulations to Pesechniks on being the only person in the top 48 of that draft who hasn't appeared in the NBA yet. But you could have used those two roster spots on an NBA player. Top 48? Top 48. <laughs> yeah. And also, you wouldn't have have given up a second round pick to trade for, um, oh my god, offensive rebounding guy. Uh, who I uh, Tre- on? Trevor Booker. Trevor Booker, who's now playing in China, I believe it is. Farting in China. Um, He's a pretty bad farter, apparently. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, that was. <laughs> and that's it. Podcast is over. Thank you for jumping on, Rich, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. Contacted, I attract clientele. My mic check is life or death, breathing the sniper's breath. I exhale.